Marvelites who are listening to Marvel's Pull List, the new Marvel Comics on sale March 8th, 2023. I'm Ryan Pagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for maps. Maps, 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 yeah. maps, maps, maps. You're, maps, you're maps. a huge collector, right? I actually do have a bunch of nice maps. I have a map that is uh, in the shape of Godzilla. I have a map mm-hmm. of... As one uh, does. The, the Fellowship's Journey in um, The Lord of the Rings. I have a map. That one's a good one. The the Goonies Treasure Map. I have, I have mm-hmm. a couple maps. Good okay, maps. see? That's what the M stands for. It checks out. It does check out, but we are not here to talk about maps. No, we are here to talk about Marvel Comics, because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we tell you about all the new comic books out this week. We give you reasons, details, all the fuel for you to go into your local comic shop or your local digital comic book app and get all them good comics each week. We'll give you our three personal picks for the week. Uh, this one is actually a really hard week. We had like seven or eight and we kept going mm-hmm. back and forth about all of our picks. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But we're also going to give awards out based on a quote pulled from one of the books this week and give those awards to all the other books where we tell you a little bit more about those books as well. We are also going to go through all the new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited, some highlights from issues that are new to MU this week, and some picks for collections on sale, plus a reading club with a book from Marvel Unlimited talking about it with a guest. What do we got this week, Jasmine? Yes, we are talking to Ben Brode, who is the chief development officer over at Second Dinner, which is the developers that did Marvel Snap. So we're going to be talking about a little bit of Marvel Snap and their upcoming season, uh, which is very much inspired by Days of Future Past, the X-Men uh, miniseries. Crazy that it's only two issues, but we're going to be talking about that event shortly. Yeah, very, very good. Going to have a fun conversation later on, but... Right now, we've got to get into the new comics. Got some picks of the week. Uh, you know, I feel like we've been talking about Amazing Spider-Man a whole bunch um, because I've been having a blast with the book. And we are going to give one of our picks of the week to Amazing Spider-Man number 21. It is not a, like, laugh-a-minute book this week, but it is a emotional, intense, big storyline oh, yeah. issue. And on the cover to this issue... It says, this is it, the story arc you've been waiting for, which we have been. We've been teasing some stuff going on for Spidey for quite a while. We know that there was something happened in the past that sort of fractured Peter's relationship with a lot of people that um, caused Mary Jane. Something happened with Mary Jane and now she's got kids and she's got a, she's got a new dude and all kinds of stuff. Here is how it goes down. This is written by Zeb Wells, art by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Meniz. And we just, you know, the book opens up in a great way is Peter wakes up and he's like, oh crap, I'm late. Got to find my toothbrush. Got to find my phone. It's like classic old school, great Spidey messing things up. And then the flip side to that is we see Mary Jane arguing with children. And I like the scene of, of Mary Jane trying to get the kids and uh, her dude out of the house to go to the park is one of the realest scenes I've ever read in a comic book. I have had this conversation with my three-year-old Catherine so many times. It is wild. And at the end, Mary Jane just looking up exasperated and saying, we're never getting out of the house is literally something every parent says to themselves. It is so funny. So spot on. I just... Wow. Wow. Uh, Zeb and the team captured that so perfectly. But then we start to get into the chaos of what's going on and is 
you know, to tell a story that is so monumental like this, if you need a John Romita Jr. You need somebody who's got that experience, that weight that can bring in like a character and something weird and some vibes and some stakes. And Johnny Jr. does it the way just simple things of Mary Jane's eyes and how intense they can be, how loving they can be, how she can shift Peter in his you know frantic movements around the city. Uh, the two of them going back and forth. There's this moment where things are converging and Peter and MJ are on the phone. He's back. He's back. He's back. And then boom, boom, boom. You get a double page spread of just copy that says one year earlier. And we go back and not what I was expecting for how this ties for what this ties into, which is wild. Uh, It gives it goes back to an old, old Zeb Wells comic, old being, you know, 15 years ago, but come on, that's kind of old uh, at this point. It is wild to me because this is my era of Spider-Man. Like, mm-hmm. this was when we had the Webhead, like, team that were essentially writing stuff between Dan Slott's run and uh, JMS's run, John Michael Straczynski's run. And, like, for Zeb to pull something that he wrote almost 20 years ago, and it's just like, not only breaking not breaking my heart but it's just like what are you doing to me zeb don't do this don't do this (laughs) yeah so zeb pulls in a character and storyline and connections that go to the brand new day era of amazing spider-man read if you want to read the original storyline with the the character who shows up here issues 555 through 557 and then there was a little tease in amazing spider-man number 93 from last year all of which available on marvel unlimited some really fun stuff that zeb sort of like pulling threads through, but continuing to like up the stakes. We've got a character here that in a lot of ways felt like Spidey versus Morlin. I'm so glad you said that because that is exactly mm-hmm. what I thought when I was reading this. Yeah. That that feeling of, oh, how is Spidey going to get out of this? Oh, this dude is intense and scary and cool. And of course, John Romita Jr. also having drawn that, drawing this, that feeling of big, powerful, oh crap, Spidey's up against something really, really bad. And it's it, it all really works. And then you get this last page that is a big like, what the hell is going on moment. It is, it's great. It's great. It, we've been teasing it. We've been sort of building it up a lot. And I feel like we're in a good place to deliver on what we've been promising. So exciting stuff. Amazing Spider-Man 21. Also, I want to shout out a variant cover, which I mm. absolutely love. There's a variant cover by Betsy Cola that is a like romance comic homage type thing. And it's very much like we've been talking about this love triangle type thing with uh, Black Cat and Spider-Man swinging. And then you kind of have Mary Jane off in a corner looking up, wondering, you know, when she's going to find true love. I am a sucker for this type of cover. So I will be hunting this one down for sure. Yeah, there's also a great cover by Jan Basildua, which is yes. the Stormbreakers one. It's wild. That was a really cool one. Uh, yeah, great covers this week. Speaking of wild variant covers, my first pick of the week has one. It is Predator, issue number one. It is written by Ed Brisson with pencils by Nito Diaz, inks by Bellardino Bravo and Victor Nava, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. There is a like I was talking about this crazy cover by Jen Bartel. I didn't realize it was Jen Bartel until I looked at it into a little bit more. It's not as bright and pretty as like some of her other covers. It is like scary and like grim and dark. 
Um, but it's terrifying because it is one of these predator aliens and it is very much like a maskless one kind of just like staring you down. I love seeing this. I love seeing this this type of not necessarily evolution, but just kind of like a new take on her style on something that's not necessarily like bright and neon color and poppy. This is more grim and darker and like, damn, Jen, I didn't know you had this in you. This is amazing. Um, but I want to continue talking about Predator because I loved the last, you know, five issue miniseries that Edberson did. Um, it was a fantastic story. And I was kind of curious what he would do next. And in this issue, we find out exactly what that is. And it kind of plays off of the Predators film. We get a group of like misfits, these all these different people from different eras, which I think is really cool. Um, something new is introduced, but they are pretty much dropped in the middle of a rainforest uh, as game for the Predators. Like they are being hunted down by these uh, aliens. And one of the things that we discover is that each one of these people comes from a different year. Um, we find out some of them are from the 80s. Some of them are like, you know, fresh out of war from the 1940s. We have some from the future, 2042, which is like around the time that we're in already. Um, we have some that are, you know, in between and they start questioning like, okay, like how, what What do you mean you're from 2013? Like, what do you mean? Like, keep keep explaining <laughs> this. And they, they're starting to try to put it together. They're like, are the predators, you know, time traveling? Are they, that they just keep us stored for like 40 years and decide to finally like let us loose? It's a mystery. But as we continue going through this book, uh, they are being hunted and we are learning a lot about this new world as our protagonists are learning about it. And by the time you get to the end of this book, you realize like how this story connects to the previous arc that Ed Brisson wrote. And I was shocked and also just like very excited because I loved the stuff that he was doing in that book. And I'm glad that it's coming back in this book. Hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler. It is, you know, the same writer, but it's still really, really cool to see how he is telling this ongoing Predator story. Yeah. All right. Gory, vicious book. I love yeah. it. The twist, the turns. I mean, no, I, but like it felt more than previous. I agree. I love it, man. Did not see some of those yeah. those things coming at all. Wow. <laughs> it was pretty bonkers. It was great. All right, our third pick of the week is Black Panther number 15, which is hell of a book written by John Ridley, art by Hedemon Peralta, colors by Jesus Arbertov, and lettering by VCs Joe Sabino. Um, there is a really great uh, variant cover by Hermon Peralta on this, which is wild and really beautiful. And also, like, each of these has also had an Alex Ross standard cover. That has also been a banger. This last one, so good. But this is the big culmination. This is the final issue written by John Ridley of this run. So we've gotten a little over a year's worth of great Black Panther stories where Panther, T'Challa, you done messed up. He has like done a lot of bad stuff and made some bad decisions, pissed off everyone. And it all comes to a head here. This issue is T'Challa versus Jai, like his very close friend who he had put in and, and like turned into a secret spy and all this other stuff. And then it flipped everything around on him and caused a lot of this chaos and then was trying to raise him back up. And so you, you've got this really intense face to face with them. And so there's this cool spread early on in the issue of them face to face and they're talking, but there's a visualization of how each of them is sort of like playing out what a fight would be in their heads. So you get a really cool idea of, there's a battle that could happen here, but without 
actually getting to that action and without also just having two characters talking. It's a great way to tell this story and to show the gravity and the weight of these two really intense dudes having it out. It's 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 wonderful stuff. Yeah, but if you're worried about there being a fight, like there is a payoff to this. Oh yeah, like, I, I don't promise worry. you. There's action in here. And then you bring in Omalola, who she's at the core of all this, and she has been burned by both of them and heartbroken by both of them and is angry and is also as fierce and as like intense as the both of them. And you bring her in and you get this 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 scene that's this big emotional climax. And there are consequences. And she has a couple of moments that was just like, she better be everywhere. I like she deserved justice. And boy, did she get it in this issue. Man, yeah. I love it. Uh, and Herman Peralta's art, again, just so good. It's it's gorgeous. There's a shot of some something slicing through something, a couple of shots of that. And just the way that is depicted and the aftermath and all that stuff. Incredible line work. And then Jesus Arbatov's colors have these kind of watercolor wash feel to them that is so beautiful. And it, it doesn't look like any other book out there, really. It's 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 tremendous. But all that's going on. And then you get Namor, who he's coming in and like I'm trying to visualize what he's like. And he's if he was smoking a cigarette, he would just be like prancing around being like mm, puffing on it. He would be snapping. Be the like, fact that he didn't walk in with popcorn, like oh my in God. all of these scenes, like was beyond me. Like I was expecting that fully. He's so petty and so wonderful in this. I laughed out loud at his lines. You could tell John Ridley just has so much fun. Oh yeah, putting him up against T'Challa. Like the thing about there's so much love for T'Challa in this, but to do that, most of our writers will just like destroy the characters, and Ridley has just. <laughs> obliterated <laughs> obliterated T'Challa in this storyline in all the best ways and breaking him down so we can eventually build him back up I'm sure I just can't get over the fact that Ridley was like I'm gonna write Black Panther for 15 months destroy him and then just leave yeah peace that is like the equivalent of someone like playing a game of poker and then just like winning and then leaving immediately not giving people a chance to win their money back he's just like no nah, I'm good I yep I did the thing like yeah. thanks thanks for letting me play We've had the press releases. Evel Ewing is coming on yeah. to, and Chris Allen coming on for a new series of Black Panther. We've told people Black Panther is exiled. T'Challa is exiled. That is how we leave him. He, they're all like, get out. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and that's what happens to him. It's so good. Look, this is a, a banger of a finale. Great end to a series. Think this as a 15 issue storyline will really sing reading it all at once so uh, if you've missed out on black panther now is a great time to pick it all up at once or you can wait for the trades but it is really really good agreed all right let's move along get into our award and community section jasmine what was our award name last week all right so last week we had a really fun one it was the it worked in star wars award um and it came from spider-man Number six. The winner for that one was Christopher Shep Anthony, who was the first to find it on New Comic Book Day, saying, quote, I thought it sounded like something Spider-Man might say, so I read the book in which almost every character is a spider person or car or dinosaur. So happy to read more Dan Slot Spider-Man every month. Dan's Amazing Spider-Man run was my first pull when I started reading comics weekly, and I love seeing him paired up with Mark Bagley's amazing art 
Also, shout out to my local comic shop, Coliseum of Comics in Kissimmee, Florida. I'm going to be in Kissimmee this week. Maybe I'll go check mm. them out. Yeah. We did also get an email from Aaron who sent us a cool note about, and a picture, a couple pictures. Had a parenting brag that I thought you would all enjoy. I helped my son Jax with his Pinewood Derby car uh, for scouts this year and decided to make my own car for the parents' open race. I followed Cody Ziegler for a while and enjoyed the recent spider punk run. So I decided to make it a spider punk car. Jax's Phineas and Ferb inspired car was voted the best design, but mine impressed a few kids. Like I, I saw pictures of both. They look awesome. Like I, mm. I'm a fan of Phineas and Ferb too. So good, good job, Jax. Yeah, the the both the, the cars look great. I'm definitely more um, partial to Spider Punk, but of course, be sure for you, Aaron, and anyone else listening, make make sure you're caught up on Spider Punk's latest adventure that was last month in Spider Verse Unlimited Infinity Comic. A good Spider Verse uh, Spidey Spider Punk story. Heck yeah! All right, we're gonna be talking about all the fabulous fresh floppies in a minute, but we need to talk about the award for this week. Are you ready, Ryan? Yes. All right, we are going to be giving out the I Have Kind of a Juicy Neck Award this week. Mm, it's a good one. Good one. Now, if you find this quote, of course, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent Diamond at Jasmineist with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're the first, I will send you a digital code for a comic book. And please, of course, mark your messages as OK to read so we can read them here on the show. And of course, we want to hear about your local comic shop. Please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out. Yes. But if you're not the first to find the quote, we've got another way for you to win. Uh, We've teamed up with Marvel Insider to score some Marvel Insider points just by listening to the podcast. So after you're done listening to the show, go to marvel.com slash insider um, and look for Marvel's pull us quote of the week activity. And in that activity, you'll be asked to identify the quote of the week. You have to choose from four different options. And if you listen to the show, shouldn't be that difficult to choose the correct one. Once you do that, you'll earn 500 Marvel Insider points. Very, very cool. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents, 18 plus only. Terms apply. Visit marvel.com slash insider to join or sign in to answer the Marvel's pull list quote of the week. Once again, this week's award name is I Have Kind of a Juicy Neck. And so let's give that out to all those other fabulous fresh floppies this week, starting with Avengers number 66. Look, I'm going to be real with y'all. I wanted to pick this book so damn good so let it be known that this is essentially one of my picks this is also jason aaron's final avengers main series issue as writer after five-ish years he's done um shout out to our man javier garon drawing 121 characters on the cover we talked about that when he was on the show recently so good uh also shout out to the variant covers by dan hainsworth who has two wraparound pixel art covers for this and Avengers Forever 15. They have t- hundreds of characters as well, and it rules. They're really, really cool. Um, but this one, you got Mephisto versus Mephistos and all kinds of stuff. I will give my, I have kind of a juicy a neck award to the new Avengers that are revealed in this issue. I will say nothing more, but we get to see and get introduced to a couple of Avengers showing up who um, we had not seen previously. And y'all, this issue is bananas. It's so crazy. It's so good. So crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Bloodline Daughter of Blade, issue number two. This is something that both you and I, Ryan, were talking about off air. 
before we started recording. Like we love this book, and yeah. one of the things that it reminds us of is kind of like a Buffy story mm-hmm. where we we get introduced to this vampire uh, daywalker type character, um, and we get to meet her in high school with her high school friends and she's dealing with all the teenage problems as well as, you know, hunting vampires. No big deal. But I'm going to go ahead and give my I have kind of a juicy neck award to Whitney, who is the antagonist, kind of like the school bully of the book. But I love that in this entire issue, we learned that one, she's a vampire hunter herself. But two, throughout the throughout the day that she is with Brielle, she tries to like get her to like essentially... Like she keeps giving herself like a, a paper cut or she'll cut her hand. She's just like, all right, come on, try to bite me so I can fight you and kill you. Come on, come on, Brielle. Like, look at this blood. Don't you want my blood? And it is just so petty and so just like silly, yeah. but I love it. I'm here for it. Hell yeah. We've got issue five of Fantastic Four this week. There's a lot of stuff going on here. There's wild science things, some beautiful, beautiful art in here. There's a return of Nicholas Scratch and Salem 7, which I was like, what? <laughs> what? So much stuff, a wild ending, but I have to give my I Have Kind of a Juicy Neck Award to Ryan North for dropping two of my favorite puns in this issue. He names two restaurants. One <laughs> is Yiros Reborn, and then the other one is Goblin Nation. So a riff on Heroes Reborn and what many call Gyros, I lost it. I immediately messaged Ryan. I was like, I hate you. I love you. This is the best thing. This is the worst thing. It's so good. I cracked up so much. Ryan is having so much fun here. It's great. All right. Next up, we have Mary Jane and Black Hat issue number four. And I'm just going to go right for it. I'm going to tell you right now what happens in this issue. I'm going to go ahead and give my I have a kind of a juicy neck award to the fact that Mary Jane and Black Cat get Sim, you know, Sim from Limbo mm-hmm. killed in this issue, which, yep. wow, these damn yep. Earth girls, I tell you. <laughs> it's a wild issue. It's so good. It's so good. I love this book. It's great. Uh, we've got Moon Knight number 21 this week. And man, we got lots of dancing and vampires and blade and, and use sound used as a weapon, just as solid as a rock issue of Moon Knight. But I'm going to give my I have kind of a juicy neck award to the fact that we got Jake Lockley yeah. cab driving personality for uh, Moon Knight. And there's just a line of Jake Lockley is for the people. It made me happy. He's so wholesome and nice. He's just like, all right, just kids, great. like have fun at the club today. Yeah. I'll come pick you up later. Oh, I love him. We have New Mutants Lethal Legion number one this week. So it's a good launch issue. There's all kinds of stuff going on in here. We've got Wolfsbane showing up, doing some stuff. Uh, we've got we've got Scout and Jonathan. I will give there's a lot of different things to give our award to. This was nearly one of our picks. I will give my personal I have kind of a juicy neck award to the way uh, Anid Balam draws Scout, a.k.a. Gabby with Jonathan the Wolverine. There's a part where they show up and they pop up and just the expressions on both of their faces (laughs) is so excited and so happy and they're so ready to get into mischief. It just, it's pure joy, pure joy. Two quick things about this book. One, there is a costume dress up montage, which I always love in a comic book. And two, uh, after reading this, I truly ship Escapade and Cerebella. They're adorable. They're cute. This is a great book. All right, next up we have Nightcrawlers, issue number two. And okay, I have to just say that this book is bonkers. There's so much going on 
during Sins of Sinister, but I feel like Cy Spurrier is just having crazy fun imagining what this religion could look like in a hundred years um, after the fact that we, you know, after Sinister has taken over. Um, and it's really cool because he explores how uh, that could, like, how religion could be manipulated to, you know, control people. Um, yeah. And he does so with, you know, all the stuff that's going on with Sins of Sinister, but also using uh, Mother Righteous, which I, I, she's quickly just become one of my favorite characters in the X-Men world. So for that, Cy Spurrier gets my, I kind of have a Juicy Neck Award. Hell yeah. On to Scarlet Witch number three. Uh, this issue, if you were looking for a comic with little dog rat goblin things riding cats, this is your yes, issue. Yes, yes, it has yes. that. Uh, which they're so good and so big, so fun. Uh, I would, I'll give my, I have kind of a juicy neck award to the, the series of like these gorgeous big splash pages that are just narration, no dialogue diving into the big fantasy of what this issue is all about. You've got Scarlet Witch and, uh, Lorna Dane, AKA Polaris going on a, like a a quest with someone, um, for a thing. I don't, I'm not going to give too much away, but it, it's great. It just feels like a big, cool fantasy issue, especially in the way that it is is beautifully, beautifully rendered by Sarah Pakeli. All right. Next up, we have Silver Surfer Ghostlight number two. I adore this book. This book has been so much fun, and it's just like a, almost like a breath of fresh air because we are exploring a new pocket of this world. Um, we're exploring a new hero. We're exploring, you know, new origins, uh, but they're all like kind of a play on like the, you know, typical superhero origins like we're not just giving someone superpowers and they're going to go beat up bad guys it's very much like all of this stuff is entwined from that issue of the silver surfer where al originally appeared and i love these kids so they are getting my i have kind of a juicy neck award they're just they're so much fun and like they by the end of this issue i was like oh my god i cannot believe or like i i have so many questions Onto the Star Wars of it all. We are in issue 32 of Star Wars Bounty Hunters, which is so cool. I'm so happy for the team to have been able to bring this weird, big ensemble book along for almost three years now. Um, I'm going to give my have kind of a juicy neck award to all the Zuckus stuff. Zuckus brings the ruckus in this issue, but we also get to see him and his mom. And there's like this really sweet scene and the history of who Zuckus the bounty hunter is and what that means um plus plus fans of star wars video games the inferno squad who first i believe first showed up in star wars battlefront 2 they're up in here it's a wild one next up we have star wars sana staros issue number two and i've really liked this book in the series and how it's explored sana separately from all the dr afra stuff but there is a scene in this book where we get a little bit of Dr. Afra being the most Dr. Afra, and it involves her stealing her ex-girlfriend's names at a bar to pick up other women. I, and I just come on. It was so good, but also like the repercussions of that and how Sana has to like now deal with it. It's delicious, but I am here for it. And because of that, it will get my I have kind of a juicy neck award. Yes, yes, indeed. And then one final Star Wars book this week, Star Wars, The High Republic, number six. This one is is wild. We're building a lot of that, that High Republic era history in here. I want to give my I have kind of a juicy neck award to a big I am one with the force and the force is with me moment, which, look, I'm a sucker for those. Next up, we have X-23 
Deadly Regenesis, which takes us back to the Utopia era of X-Men, which if you're not familiar, it was a an interesting era where the X-Men lived on Alcatraz and made it their own island, and it was called Utopia. And essentially, this story takes place uh, after certain events during Uncanny X-Men, and where Laura Kinney kind of goes off onto her own to kind of really explore herself, trying to figure out who she is. And in this book, we get a lot of like that memory. So if you're not familiar with that run, you at least get some of that backstory Mm -hmm. here in this book. It's a great place to start if you're looking to get to know Laura Kinney a little bit more, X23, aka Wolverine. Um, And it walks you through a lot. Like it even referenced Nyx, which was something that I didn't expect to see referenced in a Marvel book uh, in 2023, but it was pretty interesting. And then we get introduced to a new character called Haymaker, which we learn is tied to uh, Laura Kinney's history and like slowly, you know, intertwined in the mix here as like a a potential antagonist. So I'm going to go ahead and give my I have kind of a juicy neck award to Haymaker. Yeah, great character. All right. Final new issue of the week is X-Men number 20. Man, another one. Could have picked this. It's just that damn good. Uh, Jerry Duggan and Stefano Caselli doing some killer work in here. Uh, there's a return of a character who, who was in uh, X-Men recently, but it's not an X-Men villain. I don't want to spoil that, but it's one of my favorite villains. Um, so that was really fun. Stefano Caselli, just so great. The expressions and figure work that Stefano does, especially with magic. There's this shot early on where magic's face is just like, so excited and so surprised at something, uh, which is great. I'm actually going to give my I have kind of a juicy neck award to what makes magic have that face, which is Brew, the mutant head of all the brood, the alien species, who is a former member of of the Xavier of Jean Grey school. Brew sort of telepathically making a bunch of brood aliens do the dance from Michael Jackson's thriller. It is a good moment. It is a good thing. It is something that we needed in our comics. Yes. Yes. I need more of that. I need a whole brew book. Love brew. Love brew. That is it for our fabulous fresh new floppies. But we have a couple collections hitting store shelves as well. This week we have Gambit Thickest Thieves. uh, Ryan's favorite. I know you're going to pick that up, right? You know what I'm going to pick up? If I was going to pick up anything, it would be The Silver Surfer by Dan Slott and Mike <laughs> Allred Omnibus, baby. Yes. And then also we have Trials of X volume number six, if you're keeping up with those collections. Yeah. Uh, on the new Infinity Comics front, those hitting Marvel Unlimited this week, uh, there's you know new issues of X-Men Unlimited, Avengers Unlimited, Marvel's Voices Moon Girl, Infinity Comic Love Unlimited, Deadpool Loves the Marvel Universe, and Devil Dinosaur. It's the finale of both the arcs in Avengers and Devil Dinosaur, but we have a one-shot here, a single issue in Spider-Verse Unlimited, issue number 40. It is written by Jay Holtham with art by Fend Hamilton and Pete Pantanzas. And the, the little bit of info is when Silk isn't much for talking about her feelings, but a date gone sideways and a mystery man in the shadows has her contemplating life in the bunker and wondering if something wicked is on the way. The road to our spring team-up continues here. Ooh, tease, tease, tease. Tease, tease, tease. Love it. Also new to MU, we have a couple of new issues uh, hitting the service, including our picks of the week from three months ago. Avengers Assemble Alpha number one, Captain America Symbol of Truth number seven, and Exterminators number three. I also want to point out that 
Thanos Death Notes is on there as well. And Strange Academy number two. Hell yeah. And then filling in some gaps in Marvel Unlimited, we've got issues 21 through 30 of the early 90s Mark Spector Moon Knight series. Woo! More, more, more. Fill in those gaps. That's it for all the comics releases we got to share with you, but time to dig into your Marvel Unlimited subscription to read what we're reading with our guest. Who are we talking to? We are talking to Ben Brode from Marvel Snap about the next season of Marvel Snap, Days of Future Past, and we're going to be talking about Days of Future Past, the comic series. We're going to be talking about Uncanny X-Men issues 141 and 142 um, and talk about how it inspired this next season on Marvel Snap. Heck yeah, let's do it. Jasmine, I want you to snap it up for our guest this week. He is the co-founder and chief development officer at Second Dinner. Of course, the development studio behind Marvel Snap. Hello, Ben Brode. Oh, it's so good to be back. Yeah, yeah, Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Pew, pew, I'm pew, so pew. excited. I'm glad you're as hyped as we are. Uh, before we get started, I have a very important question that I, as I was doing the prep for this episode, I, I was like, I need to know. What happened to first dinner? <laughs> <laughs> first, everyone has first dinner. It's second dinner that is really, you know, for a select few, I think. <laughs> uh, honestly, second dinner is a phrase we use in our household all the time because we have cats and we give them like smaller meals. So they get a second dinner right at the end of the yeah. day. Listen, Please. second dinner is 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 like a far superior dinner. It's, uh, you know, when we were coming up with a name for the studio, we, we wanted something, because nobody nobody cares what your name is. You forget. Like, nobody thinks of, like, Apple computers and thinks about fruit or thinks about Amazon and thinks about the rainforest. You know, like, you just replace whatever the name is with, like, hopefully for us, high-quality video games. And so we are just like, let's we just pick something that sounds really fun to say. But we love the connotation with, like, not being pretentious and, like, you know, you know one goes up to a fancy, like, 17-course second dinner you like microwave pizza or go out for tacos or something it like reminds you of hanging out with buddies uh and like kind of a non-pretentious way that feels like that feels like us you know just breaking it up you know 9.5 course meals twice in the day i get yeah, it right, yeah, yeah, there you go there you go that's the strat <laughs> please don't give yourselves heart attacks anyone out there especially our friends at second dinner um ben we've got a lot to get into because the new season for marvel snap which we'll explain for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what marvel snap is we'll explain that in a second but the new season is all about days of future past which is very freaking exciting yeah. um t- tell us a little bit about the new season yeah, so Days of Future Past. It's one of the most iconic Marvel storylines of all time. Is that is that my is that yes. my, is my yes. being yes. too bold by saying that? No. Uh, and uh, we're ex- <laughs> we're excited to explore it. We're obviously huge fans of uh, of all of all of that uh, at the studio. And uh, yeah, there's new cards. There's new locations. There's uh, new variants. There's there's a ton of new stuff. Before we get into all that, uh, where does this story sit in your like comic book? history like are, were you someone who grew up with comics was this something that you were aware of at the time certainly yeah so uh although i will say that my primary exposure to this storyline is through the x-men cartoon uh, which has got a little bit of a different take on mm. on it uh than the comics does i woke up every you know saturday morning and just like waited for that thing to come on i was such a humongous fan of uh but yeah i read comics as a kid all the time we used to like you know, walk down to the comic book stop at the, at the corner together with my family and we'd get some treats at the at the T-Mart there and get like one comic book for the week. And so we, I was, you know, I read a lot of comic books growing up. I fall asleep watching that cartoon now. Like it's literally <laughs> become my like 
my white noise machine at the end of the day where I'm just like, I'm going to play some classic X-Men cartoon, just doze off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is wonderful and nostalgic. And I think we're also a little bit nostalgic uh, about this storyline. You talked about it. It's the X-Men Days of Future Past storyline. So that's going to be our reading club. And it is a very easy one because it's only two issues long, which is wild to think about in, in a <laughs> world for us in which we have, you know, 30 part crossovers and storylines that last for years. This story was released in two issues with like tiny little bits beforehand. And then obviously lots of repercussions afterwards. Um, but just two issues jam packed with just so much. Yeah, it is. It is kind of wild to to like to be at that level of, you know, iconic stories. <laughs> it's just two issues. It's kind of incredible. It's amazing. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Days of Future Past is a two-parter. We're going to be talking about issues uh, 141 and 42 of Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and essentially, if you're not familiar with the story, you should definitely read these books because they're classics, like we've been saying. But also, it's essentially a future Kitty Pride uh, alongside the remaining X-Men in 2013, which is wild to me because we're know, now a yeah. decade past yeah. that. <laughs> but it takes place in 2013, uh, a future Kitty Pride. It's it's essentially a post-apocalyptic world where the mutants are being held in camps. And the remaining team decides to send Kitty Pride to the past to essentially prevent this future from happening by stopping an assassination of a senator who runs on an anti-mutant platform and mutant registration. And that's essentially what starts this whole thing. Um, and they succeed. This is, of course, <laughs> written by Chris Claremont, art by John Byrne, colored by Glynis Ween, inks by Terry Austin, letters by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Louise Jones at the time, Louise Simonson. Uh, as we know her now. Um, so the interesting thing, so thinking about all that, creative team, Chris Claremont, John Byrne, this is the last storyline that they did together. This would be um, John Byrne's penultimate issues. Now, he leaves X-Men at 143, which is one of my all-time favorite X-Men issues, but he leaves this. Uh, so this can't, I will give you guys some, some funny details. This comes out in October, November of 1980. So the week before 141, Captain America 253 is released. John Byrne also drawing that. He's drawing Captain America and X-Men at the same time at like an unbelievably high level. But that Captain America issue, uh, it's a two-part cross, two-part storyline as well. It's the Baron Blood, Captain America versus Baron Blood, where he has to like decapitate him and you get some really gnarly stuff in there. Those are really good comics too. Uh, the same month, 141, Daredevil 168 is released by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen. It's the first appearance of Elektra, so that's happening. We've got Carmine Infantino doing some of his rare Marvel work uh, on Avengers 203. Bill Sienkiewicz is drawing Fantastic Four. Uh, Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. John Romita Jr., who is still penciling Amazing Spider-Man so to wild. this day, drawing Spectacular Spider-Man number 50 in a wild alien storyline. And then Amazing Spider-Man 212 comes out with Surely one of the greatest characters in a future Marvel Snap Hall of Famer, Hydro-Man, his first appearance. <laughs> Got to get some Hydro-Man in the game, Ben. Oh, yeah. You know, I, that was the that was why I wanted to make a Marvel game is so I can get Hydro-Man in there sometime. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, but it's hard. It's hard. Wasn't like the original <laughs> game like designed just a Hydro-Man game? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, not everybody was on board, but uh, <laughs> right. so, we'll, we'll do it someday. We'll get it in there someday. We'll yeah. get it. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Believe Morris Bench <laughs> will get his uh, will get his just due. Uh, yeah, we should dive into the to the storyline because honestly, 
you're just thinking about it from from the start you've got two of the most iconic covers Easily. in history most homaged yep. Yep. comic book covers in history with that that image of wolverine and kitty pride the the wall behind them with all the like the slain or captured x-men i i it's probably in the hundreds the number of times i've seen that cover you know referenced and homage yep. that cover lives rent free in my head like when i think of like classic <laughs> x-men stories like it's that cover like it starts with that cover because it was very much like my like earliest introduction to the x-men like I, like i mean we were talking about the x-men animated series and i remember uh finding these comics and being told that like you had to read these so like when i saw this i was like well i, I want to read the x-men but this says that they're all dead and they're like no no no, no just read just read it and i'm like okay got it yeah that that line on the second cover this issue everybody, everybody dies, dies. <laughs> <laughs> what what a move it's so baller it's so and you literally are seeing Storm dead and Wolverine getting blasted to smithereens. Both of and and you know comic covers can fudge the details a little bit, but yeah. that is those are things that actually happen in that issue. Yeah, <laughs> not wrong, not wrong. So good. The also the idea of like New York City and burnt out and just this this awful place. It reminds me of a lot of seventies and eighties you know post apocalyptic vibe of of movies and stuff. Even like Escape from New York, taking a lot of you know sort of vibe of that too it's you you get that feeling so quickly of of how gnarly it is you know it's interesting to me is that these these stories are you know x-men a lot is about you know the prejudice of you know you're different than me and that's scary and i don't like it and we're going to discriminate against you know people who are different than us but what's what's interesting is that today reading the stories about x-men and sentinels it's there's a lot more of like the fear of ai right like we may lose control and, uh, you know, these sentinels may be coming, you know, which is what Future Pass is about, right? Like, the we create these sentinels, and they're like, you know what? Actually, we would be better at running this place than you guys. Uh, we're just going to take over. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on in the AI world. Sentinels, you know, kind of uh, elicit that fear. Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated that you thought of the AI. Because uh, that is something that, I, that makes a lot of sense here, too. Uh, but, like, reading it today also just like reflected a lot of like what's going on with like all the drag bands and like the transgender stuff that's happening in politics and how that's becoming like a, a fiery weapon um or rhetoric around that um and like it's just scary because like here we have a a, a, a president a presidential candidate running on an anti-mutant bill and it's like that that's ridiculous mm. like come on now chill out and then it's just like you see that future where it can lead and it's like oh chills chills yeah right Yep. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, like this is still four years before Nimrod shows up in in the X-Men comics. And like, you know, you were talking about the AI stuff and Nimrod being that like most terrifying version of all that and still in play now. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of really wild stuff. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, John Byrne and his art, but like just even the scene setting stuff of those first couple of issues or the first couple of pages in New York, the the level of detail that is happening. There's even like panels where you just see buses being driven by horses and like <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. And this is like a eighth of a page, that panel. He's just putting so much into it from your perspective, Ben, I'm sure it's, it's gotta be wild. Cause you're also in addition to all the gameplay stuff, you are working with a team of amazing artists putting all kinds of styles and flavors 
into Marvel Snap. It's got to be fun to look at the old comics like this and be like, ooh, we need some of that style. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We work with some of the best artists in the world to make Marvel Snap, right? And we get to go through the back issues and find our favorite covers of all time and turn them into 3D masterpieces, you know, on the, on the cards. It's, uh, it is delightful. It is super fun. What does that process look like? Like out of curiosity, because like I've seen some of my favorite variant covers like appear as cards. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like Archerum stuff has been yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. Archerum does a ton of great stuff. Yeah. And I've seen uh, one of my favorite artists, Chris Samney, uh, his Captain America card is probably one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Cause it, when you when you upgrade to that 3D, you get that like vintagey like oh, yeah. static yep. like animation and it looks so it sick. looks so good that, that that artist is i'm a huge fan of, of his stuff yeah same it, uh it's uh it's really interesting because a lot of these you know when we commission new art most of the artist is commissioned from scratch for marvel snap and when we commission it for marvel snap we're like okay just paint just paint multiple layers and you know that way you know when when you parallax or whatever and hulk's fist moves you could see behind his fist to the stuff behind but these old school comic covers aren't layered pieces of art you know, they're just they're just one layer. So we actually have to go back and and repaint it into multiple layers so that it can parallax in multiple directions. Getting back into the storyline, there's you know, we're getting this this establishment of this time period, the the post apocalyptic, the horror of it all. And I, I guess I haven't read this since I've had a child. So I get into this and I see there's the panel where Kate is walking through the just the the lined up graveyards oh, yeah. of all the other heroes. And there, there's just like such a gut punch of of thinking the, of the mortality of all these characters that we know and love. And there's a real feeling of their loss right there. Yep. Yeah, it's it's like the most haunting panel in the I think the whole the whole two books part. And it's also the incredible moment from the cartoon series. When you see that, you're like, what? How? It's also just like weird to me that like Sentinels were like, okay, fine. We'll build this giant grave yeah. for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like go, go back to your camp. But before you do that, make sure you walk through the hundreds of dead heroes just so you don't get any crazy ideas. Like, they're mean. Yeah, yeah. kind of rude. Yeah. <laughs> And from there, we, you know, we learned about the four X-Men who remain Logan, Kate, Storm, Colossus. And then we, we see an adult Franklin Richards, which is, you know, wild. And it's it's interesting because also Byrne would do an adult Franklin Richards story, you know, a while later. Um, Rachel, we get her first appearance. We just hear her. We see her as Rachel. But later we know like her, her connection to Jean and Scott and all that stuff. Magneto in the wheelchair. Like it's just like boom, boom, boom. But then there's this like two panels and we see... Peter, uh, a.k.a. Colossus, and Kate Pride, and talk about them being married. And her dialogue where she says, they killed my babies. And I legit, oh, yeah. like, I got, I welled up. I was like, that feeling was so full and and impactful to me. Yeah. Well, it's a hard choice, right? You have love in the, in the present. Do you go back in time and risk losing that love? Because you're going to change, yeah. they're going to change the future. It may never happen. You may never fall in love. You may never have those babies. Yeah. And Peter like very well says that. And like knowing now, like, you know, we're almost 40 years removed from the this, this story when it first came out. And it's like knowing now that like where their history leads them, like they end up not getting married. He gets left at the altar. They don't have children. And it's like, damn, like they did lose it. I mean, yeah. who knows? There's still plenty of time. But at the same time, it's like you, you start to put these connect these dots together. And you're like, damn, like you did have to give up something pretty special. I mean, you were in a situation, but... Still, like, yeah. you did have to give up that love. 
You, you know what I love? There's there's two lines of dialogue in this that really speaks to what I love about storytelling. It's when uh, Mystique and Nightcrawler are battling. And like Mystique says something like, well, your mother, and she like names his mother by name, would have something to say about that. He's like, what? And then she leaves. And he's like, I have to know more. And uh, like, that's it. There's like no, it's just like two lines of dialogue. And what, what it does is it creates some mystery. And like, as a X-Men reader, I'm like, well, I got to tune in next week. What the heck was that about? Like, what is it? There's something going on that I don't know. And I, I love that. I love like, just, just like, you know, we're telling this other story, but I'm going to drop, I'm going to drop a little bit of like what comes next to keep you, you know, excited about yeah. what comes next. Just planting those seeds. Yeah. I, that's what Claremont did so well for so many years. Cause he, he felt so comfortable and confident in his ability to run that ship for so long. And he rightfully so that he could drop something and not have to pick it up for months or years. But when he does, Oh, I remember that. And then you, you thread all this together talking about the storytelling and the dialogue. There's a, uh, in the danger room when, um, Colossus catches Kitty. And then there's this giant thing, pile driver coming down and, and the nightcrawler stops it. And, Peter's holding Kitty and they're he's he's like, were you scared? She's like, yeah, he's like, I was too, which I think is such a small thing, but is so important to humanize, to show that these characters are so relatable that even the the six foot nine dude who's made of metal is scared, is willing to admit that he's scared, is talking about that. It's a, a simple little thing, but it adds so much to the character and to their relationships and to their world that we we subconsciously sort of file into our minds and think about how Peter is that like gentle giant in a lot of ways. Yeah. The danger room is just, just a mean place. Like obviously like they almost die a lot of times in there. (laughs) She's like what? 14, 15. And they could have, they literally could have killed her if things were going wrong. And then they laugh at the end when she like goes through all the gags and and they're all like, ah, I guess that didn't work. We're going to have to try again. Like you're going to try and murder that child again. Awful. What's also, I, I had to remind myself because now we're 43 years or f- almost 43 years from the release of these, but this storyline also, in not just the first appearance of Rachel Summers, but the first appearances of Destiny, Pyro, and Avalanche. Well, I didn't realize they're all their first experiences. Wow. All of them, which they, they all feel so realized there. Maybe it's our own personal like knowledge of these characters sort of coloring that in our, our current readings, but... Those, yeah, the only ones who had shown up before was Mystique, who had shown up. Uh, she first appeared in um, Ms. Marvel, I believe. And then Blob had been around since the very beginning of the X-Men. But, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was funny because Blob the whole time was like, who are these new X-Men? And I was like, whoa, dang, these are like, these are like iconic mainstays. What are you talking about, Blob? Like, <laughs> also, Blob, one, super misogynistic. And oh, yeah. so it's like real messed up, but he's also a force to be reckoned with in this storyline. Like he could have killed all of them. Yeah. He's classic it's blob in, in, in that issue. He's, uh, it's great. Yeah. Thinking about this storyline, th- there's one, one more panel I wanted to to mention or two panels really of when, uh, so Wolverine dies, brutal storm gets killed, brutal. And then, Colossus has this moment where all you you first see him holding Storm's body, tears streaming down his face, and the narration does so much. It's just like talking about how his rage and his grief, and it, he just 
loses it going into a berserker like place like Wolverine does. And the next panel is a 20 foot tall Sentinel flying through the side of a building. Just and it, it is so well done and so intense and so good and so upsetting because all of his grief is right there. God, I love this friggin' comic. The just talking about it makes me so excited. <laughs> so Rereading it was so good. And the storyline being two issues. But we do dive back into the Days of Future Past reality. Um, most specifically when Rachel comes back into the the series, it's like issues 184 and on. So there's like a, a year and a half period where she shows up. And I think Nimrod's first appearance is within that time period. Yeah. Days of future, past, future. <laughs> so yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Ben, is like, we're talking about Days of Future Past as we wrap this conversation around the book. Like, I want to know, like, what can you tell us about the new season and how this story is going to be uh, inspiring that season? Yeah. So uh, we have a, a new card in the season pass. It's Nimrod. And uh, when he's destroyed... He adds a copy of himself to each other location. Uh, so he's really fun in a destroy deck because, you know, you, you destroy him once and you get two more. You destroy one other one, you get two more. And you can kind of expand across the board. He's really fun to play with. I really, really enjoy Nimrod. What a, like, I, I don't know. He's kind of like a, got a ridiculous, in my opinion, visual aesthetic. He's yeah. like pink and white. You know, he's got like a, like a, like a, I don't know, juggernaut style, like a diamond head or something. Uh, but he's like... He's awesome. I really love the character. I loved him in the the uh, animated uh, series. Uh, another new card. We have three new cards that we're launching during during the, the month of this season. Uh, the first is Master Mold, who is just this like super imposing, you know, giant Sentinel who creates Sentinels. So when you play Master Mold, uh, you add two Sentinels to your opponent's hand, which like sounds like. Not that good, right? You're helping your opponent out. But you can't get... Like, the thing about Sentinels is when you play a Sentinels in Marvel Snap, you get another Sentinels. They just keep coming, right? So you cannot reduce your hand size, really, once you get Sentinels in your hand. So if you, like, can find a way to, like, keep adding cards to your opponent's hand, they might, like, fill up on cards and not be able to draw any more cards. Cards like Ronin, they get a bonus for having, you know, your opponent having lots of cards in their hand, get much stronger Ooh. because you just can't... You can't do anything about it. The Sentinels just kind of clog up your hand and you're kind of... You're like, okay, I guess... I guess that's it. But if you if you're someone who plays the collector, right? That that could that could be good. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it could be a downside, right? You're giving them something; they could use it to hurt you. But yeah. hopefully, your deck can take advantage of the fact that you're stuffing your opponent's handful of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kitty Pride herself also in uh, yes. coming out this season. Finally, Woo. so uh, uh, she's a, a one cost two power card, and you can you can choose to bring her back to your hand. And then when you do, she gets plus two power. So she can kind of like phase shift all the way back to your hand. So you can like play her, put, you know, put her back. She's actually stronger, play her somewhere else. And your opponent has to think like, is is that it? Like, are you going to leave her there? Or is she coming back and getting stronger again? And then you're going to play her, you know, deploy her somewhere else. This is this is good for me. I'm I, I'm a fan of like a, a mover type style deck where like a lot of my cards are based on like movement or like switching around. So that like people never know where my cards are going to end up. So like, yeah, that's perfect. I love that. She's very flexible. Uh, also, I think my favorite card uh, that we've ever made is is launching this season. It's uh, the Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Ooh. which is, uh, <laughs> by the way, like like every card has a logo, a unique logo, and usually we get it from the comic books, right? Like we uh, uh, just take the Wolverine logo from the Wolverine comics, put it on the card. Uh, I don't. I believe we had to create a lot of them. Have to create because like the, nobody Negasonic Teenage Warhead didn't have like a run. You know what I mean? Like it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of these master mold didn't have like its own comic series. You know, we had to like yeah. develop a logo. I would read that. 
so uh, it's, this logo, by the way, it's very difficult to fit Negasonic Teenage Warhead in a small little <laughs> at the bottom of the card. But when you play, she's a, a three-cost, two-power card. When you play her, uh, after any other card is played there, you destroy that card and Negasonic TJ Warhead. She, like, explodes in fire and just blows them both up. Uh, and it's really interesting because if you are ahead and you play her there and your opponent doesn't play there, like, they have to play two cards to even, like, they have to play one card that's going to get destroyed and then another card to get over the top of you. So it can really, like, put a lot of friction in the way. And sometimes you can use it as like, okay, I think they're just not going to play here, so I'll just toss Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Uh, but you can really, you can really screw yourself because you know if you if you're losing now at that location, you have to like do it to yourself. She's also great with Nimrod because Nimrod obviously when it's destroyed makes two copies, so you can preload that, play Negasonic Teenage Warhead, then play Nimrod on top of it and get some extra triggers. Ooh, I like that. And I was thinking about Kitty. I would throw Kitty down and then Beast pull Kitty out, and so she has zero cost, and then just keep oh, yeah. finding Ooh. places for her. Ooh. And so she's combo building. That's that's a good combo. <laughs> I like it. So these are these are all new cards that are coming. Are there any more new cards? Those, are the, those are the variants. four new cards. Uh, yeah, we can talk about variants. There's some sick variants coming for this, uh, uh, for this one. We're doing a steampunk um, variant rush as well. So we got steampunk variants for uh, Bishop, Falcon, Shocker, Cerebro, and Yellow Jacket are all getting... Uh, steampunk variants that'll drop for a certain period of time during the season. I, I want to know what a steampunk cerebro it's looks like. It's dope! It is sick! It's <laughs> so cool! <laughs> Any locations that we can talk about yet, or we'll wait for a little while? Yes, yeah. So we got, uh, let's see, I think it's three new locations. The Orcus Forge. Uh, after you play a card there, you get Sentinel in your hand. So it's actually kind of interesting because if you play like a bunch of cards there, your hand starts getting full of Sentinels. You don't need more than one <laughs> Sentinel, right? Because every time you play a Sentinel, you get another one back in your hand. So like the more Sentinels there, the less, you know, you have other other spaces for other cards in your hand. Uh, Krakoa is the uh, another location that's coming. Krakoa uh, is like a living uh, like place, right? It's just like, it's, you know, it's kind of like Ego, in fact, right? Ego is the... You know, the planet that has a you know mind of its own. So we wanted to like reference other living locations. So uh Krakoa says on turn five, uh Krakoa takes over and plays both players' cards for them. So it's got that little hint of like it's alive, it has a mind of its own, it's doing things. But what's interesting about Krakoa is that it's just that one turn, and then you get turn six to like take get back in the driver's seat and try and fix this mayhem <laughs> that Krakoa has caused and uh uh take over for the last turn. So it's not quite Agatha Harkness. No, it's not quite. It's just a little taste. It's a little bit of uh, you know, just randomizes things a little bit, and then you gotta like figure out how you're gonna make the best of a of a potentially messed up situation. Finally, uh, Asteroid M, which is uh, uh, Magneto's kind of uh, uh, base or of yeah, some kind. Yeah, nineties nineties headquarters. Yeah, right. And uh, so it kind of mimics his powers. So after you play any three or four cost card, it will automatically be moved to Asteroid M. So you're going to have trouble sticking cool. three or four cost cards anywhere besides there unless you choose to fill that location up so that they can't be moved there, which obviously gives you a huge disadvantage because now you can't, your opponent knows exactly how much power you're going to get there. But you get the advantage of being able to play your three and four cost cards elsewhere. Mm. I like Ooh. this. I'm excited. They're tricky. They're tricky strategic locations. It'll be fun to play with these. Yeah. It's going to be real good. Uh, we look forward to um, getting very excited and very frustrated at seeing our decks <laughs> and our hands and the opponents and, and all the, the, the litany of emotions that run through a Marvel Snaps uh, player's mind every time they play. But we love it. 
I love it. Should be a fun season. And, you know, obviously we're working on tons of new you know, features and other updates for the game. And we're excited to continue to roll that out. Uh, you know, we patch every three or four weeks. So should be a fun time. Ben, now that I have you here, when are we yeah. going to get Viv Vision? Oh, you know, I was, we were, I love, so the Visions, that that comic series, just unbelievable. One of the best Marvel runs, I think, just period. It's just fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, Viv is, Viv is great. I, 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 um, I, it's interesting. I was trying to design a card that like both referenced the like Visions card, where he can like phase mm-hmm. shift between locations. Is it still an interesting because we have Nightcrawler who can move once and Vision who can just move every turn? And some you know, depending how many turns there are, it, like is there a room for like a different cost version of that? I'm not sure. So I think we need to be a little more creative with uh, what a Viv design works. But I, she's very uh, she's very near and dear to us. We'd love to do a Viv card some, someday. We'll talk. We'll talk. Happy to, you know, brainstorm with you. Just just give me a call whenever. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Big thanks to Ben Brode for coming on the show uh, and reading one of the all-time greats with us. Pretty good. Uh, of course, if you want to play Marvel Snap, you can play it now on iOS and Android and PC. Dig in, dig in, dig in. It is a lot of fun. That is it for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill Leboff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us over at pullist at marvel.com. You can also tweet at us using the hashtag Marvel's Pull List. And then make sure you don't mark them okay to read. Otherwise, we can't read them on the show. Sorry. Um, make sure to also rate and subscribe, share the podcast with a friend, um, and let them know how awesome the show is. Mm-hmm. For more information and full quote of the week contest rules, go to marvel.com slash pull list quote rules. Terms and conditions apply. Open to U.S. residents 18 and up. See you next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.